You don't need flea and heartworm prevention if you've lived in a gated community. Oh gosh, I've heard that before. Poodles and poodle mixes can't get allergies because they're hypoallergenic. I don't, I don't think that word means what he thinks it means. Only let your vet vaccinate against distemper if your dog has a bad temper. I've heard that one before. <laughs> if I neuter my dog, he'll feel like less of a man. Your dog is not a man. You have to let a female have one litter before you spay her. That's the only way to calm her down. You can feed your pet limes to prevent Lyme disease. I saved my limes for my tequila. You can deworm pets with raw hamburger and Tabasco sauce. Oh my gosh. Don't do that. <laughs> no. You can feed your dog garlic to prevent fleas. <laughs> and cure parvovirus. That's not true. Spaying and neutering is unnatural. Vets just do it so they can drive nice cars. Yeah, right. <laughs> no. <laughs> If none of your previous pets have gotten heartworms, you don't need prevention. It's obviously not in your yard. That's good. I'm glad that heartworm is not in my yard. I have a mosquito-free yard. They understand the boundaries. You can bathe your pet in motor oil to treat mange. We had a dollar for every time we heard that. <laughs> Please don't bathe your pet in motor oil to treat anything, ever. Please. How you guys doing out there? Good? Happy August. Yeah, got your vacations all the way over, but you still got some left. No. <laughs> uh, as he's mentioned a couple of times, we are starting a series today. It's kind of a little bit weird, a little bit different, but it's uh, called Bad Advice. And you're thinking, okay, why would I want to come to church for the next month and get bad advice? Well, good point. Uh, when you kind of look at the way we actually live sometimes, it looks like we've not got bad advice and are following it. So uh, what we're going to do is going to throw out some bad advice on four issues that kind of people struggle with, uh, stuff that maybe uh, scripture does not recommend. And by doing so, we might actually kind of realize, wait a minute, maybe, maybe I'm actually following some of that bad advice. And then we can turn it around, look at maybe what God says, and it'll cause us to maybe take a little bit of a change of direction. So let me just pray for our time, and we'll get started on uh, today's topic. God, thank you for today. Thanks for this uh, uh, place we have to meet. Thanks for some uh, nice weather out there. Uh, thank you for the time of worship. Uh, focus our gaze heavenward. I uh, pray that you might find us willing, uh, open recipients of your word this morning, that we might be changed from our time with you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so uh, to get us into our bad, bad advice topic today, let me just ask a question. You don't have to raise your hands or anything, but I just wonder, uh, if you're a Christian this morning, if you think back upon your Christian life, was there ever a time in your Christian life where you were maybe a little more uh, sincere, a little more passionate, a little more uh, active in, in, in buddying up, getting close to, hanging out with, with God? Uh, maybe you couldn't wait to get into his word. Uh, maybe you would get into his word every day and you'd see something that maybe related to something that happened later in life. And you go, oh man, it was so cool that God connected me to something that was going on before I even knew it was going to happen. Uh, maybe there's a time you wanted to get to church early because you wanted to make sure you didn't miss anything, didn't want to miss people, didn't want to miss any experience, didn't want to miss any of the songs, didn't want to miss any of the teaching. 
Maybe there was a time when you invited friends to church because you thought, gosh, if I can just get them here, they might hear something that would change their lives. Maybe a time when you were kind of just talking to God through the day, driving along, doing that kind of stuff. Maybe God answered prayers for you and you felt like, gosh, maybe this is a God that does that more than just once in a lifetime. I might throw up some more prayers just to see what happens. So, so the question is, how many of us would actually say there was a time when we were like super duper, very interested in God things, and some, for some reason, we just kind of have cooled off a little bit? Again, don't raise your hands or anything, but I think a lot of people would actually say that. Uh, a few years ago, I uh, heard the story about a guy and gal who were always sitting in the front seat of their trucks. Maybe if you grew up in southern Indiana, you saw this all the time, in the time before seatbelts were mandatory. Husband would be driving, wife would be cuddled up next to him in the seatbelt, without the seatbelt on. He'd have his arm around her. And uh, then the story goes, like 20 years later, they're still, they're still in, a, in a pickup truck driving in southern Indiana, but uh, the wife is over there on the passenger side. And she looks over at her husband, and she goes, honey, what, what's happened? He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, well, I remember a time when we used to, like, sit real close in the truck. He just kind of smiled and said, well, I wasn't the one who moved. <laughs> if there was a time in your life where you felt maybe closer to God than you do, closer to his presence, feeling him more and more every day, may I just suggest that God is not the one who moved. Uh, I'm hoping that God can use this message in a lot of our lives. We're talking bad advice, so I want to kind of talk about this. How do you, here's some bad advice on how to drift from God. And in order to do it, I want to start with a parable out of Jesus' uh, b- b- uh, words, uh, Matthew chapter 13, first book of the New Testament. I'm going to summarize what Jesus taught, and then we're going to kind of dip into his word to kind of get his uh, specific instructions on, on ap- applying it. Uh, Jesus is talking about a guy who is a sower, a guy who was, uh, uh, would have a bag of seed along his pack, and he would be going through uh, the land and uh, his property and casting the seed out, throwing it out, hoping for a harvest. And Jesus said there was a, this sower who would cast some seed out, and, and some of it fell along a path. And before it had a chance to do anything, the birds would swoop in, grab it, and that seed was gone. And then the seed, uh, sower threw out some that hit some rocky ground, uh, and it kind of sprouted up a little bit, but because there wasn't a lot of soil or moisture there, the roots really couldn't, couldn't grab hold. So when it tried to spring up, very quickly the sun beat down on it and, it, and it died. And then he threw some of the seed, and it landed in the thorn bushes. And when the plants tried to go there, uh, the thorns just uh, choked the, uh, the seed out, choked the plants out, and they were not able to get any fruit. And then he said he threw some on some good soil, and it brought a 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold harvest. And Jesus goes on to say, basically, that you and I are one of those types of soil. So the question we have before us today is, is really, what kind of soil am I? So we're going to look at the application as Jesus starts talking in Matthew 19, because people know, well, what are you talking about? What's going on? What are you trying to say? Can you, can you explain it to us a little bit? So he does this. He says, okay, okay, uh, if, you're the, if you're the person, uh, if you're the path and the seed lands on you, what does that mean? He says, well, this is the person who hears the message about the kingdom and all the stuff, but doesn't really understand it. And the evil one, that's Satan, comes and snatches it away before it has a chance to actually germinate. So that what was sown in the heart doesn't have a chance to actually get planted. That's the seed sown along the path. And the, the danger is that that could be some of us, right? God's word is going to be kind of thrown out in your general direction, right? You hear it, you'll be like, 
ah, I, don't, I don't know. It didn't seem to make any sense to me. Why wasn't Dwayne funnier today? Why weren't there more funny slides? Where are the cat jokes? You know, music was too loud. Music was too soft. The music was just too right. You know, you'll go away kind of completely as you came in, unchanged. Maybe you got to get on Facebook or get your emails out during service, check on YouTube. Nothing really sprouts. See, that's what I'm saying. The, the seed lands, but it doesn't really take root at all. Word doesn't penetrate. Nothing really happens. You, you leave here the same way you walked in. And then Jesus says, okay, that's, that's the path. How about the rocky ground? He says this in verse 20, 21. Well, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. They're happy as clams, right? But since they got no real depth of the root, they only last a short time. What, what causes the, the collapse? Well, when trouble or persecution comes, they quickly fall away. Well, this could be some people. You're going to hear this with joy, and you go, yeah, man, it's right. This is so cool. I really want to be closer to God again. So you're like the person who loves the idea of scooting back over in that front seat of the car or the truck to get closer to God. I want to get in a small group. I want to start, I want to start serving. I want to, I want to get, uh, I want to get a, a Bible reading program. I want to get to, in the Word every day. And then you do that for a little while, right? Week, two, whatever. And then all of a sudden, something happens. Something happens. You get a bad doctor's report. Someone makes fun of you for being Mr. Religious or Mr. Religious. You always got your Bible in your hand for two weeks. But something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Car breaks down, and you can, you're going to say to yourself, I just didn't see that coming. I didn't see that happen. I didn't expect that. And instead of kind of continuing with that passion, knowing that God's got something good for you, even in the hard things of life, you're just going to kind of fade away. Jesus says, that what's, that's what happens to the person when the seed is sown and it lands on rocky ground. Then in verse 22, talks about the seed that falls among the thorns. It says this, well, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth just <laughs> choke them out, making it unfruitful. Worries of life. Guess what? Some of us could be in this category. If you've drifted, not bad people at all, not horrible people, maybe good people, maybe you, maybe the person next to you, right? Uh, you want to get it right. You really do. But what happens? You get preoccupied with life. You know, I'm a student. I got to really study hard to get my grades so I can get into the right school. Or I'm in school, the right school, but I got to study really hard to get a good grades so I can get a good job. I really don't have time to do that church thing right now. Or I just got married. And I got to focus on this new wife, new husband. Uh, got to get that thing together. And we got some issues that we didn't think about before we got married. And, you know, he does this and she does that. And we got to kind of work that thing. I got to focus on that, make sure this marriage works. Or we're married, but we got to have a kid. Now I mean, God, now I got to think about a minivan. I didn't think everyone wanted to drive a minivan. He never wanted to drive a minivan. He's got a minivan now, right? Now we got another baby coming. Can't do that. If you want to talk to people who are in this kind of phase, I tell you what you hear all the time in Christian circles. Well, I'm in that season of life. I'm in that season of life where I can't be involved with God. I can't be in a small group in that season of life. I'm really busy right now. Really busy right now. Can't serve. I'm really busy. Got these little kids. Got these big kids. Got these kids that left home. I mean, I'm all, let me tell you. There is always a season of life. Always. The only time there's not a season of life for you is when you're dead. <laughs> tell you. It's just the truth. You have to make a commitment. You're going you're gonna, to, in the season of life you're in, to be involved with God. 
and to be involved with his people and be involved with his church. You've got you to determine you're going to do that no matter what. Otherwise, you're going to always find, no matter what season of life you're in, you're always in a season of life. And it goes on and on and on until you are no longer alive. You're dead. That's it. That's been my experience. So a lot of people have gone through season after season after season and they just never got reconnected. They have drifted. Then Jesus talks about the, the good soil. I think there's some of us in here today. The seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and, and grasps it. And it produces a crop yielding 100 or 60 or 30 times what was sold. Now, now I looked around and nobody passed out. Nobody, nobody gasped. Nobody went, oh. you know why? Because you don't live in an agrarian society. <laughs> If you lived in an agrarian society, if you grew up on a farm in Oklahoma or southern Indiana, you would be going, whoa, what? This is nuts. You've got to be kidding me. This is the stupidest story ever. Because if you plant in those areas where you grow stuff, you know if you get eight times what you planted or 10 times or, my gosh, 12, you just got a bumper crop. Unheard of that you would have 30-fold increase. It's like 60-fold increase. It's like... You, that's just not going to happen ever. Hundredfold? That, that would be a miracle of God. That's the only way that would happen because that's unnatural that you would have a hundredfold. It'd be a miracle. But the, what Jesus is saying is when the good soil receives the seed, fruit that God can bring can be beyond your imagination, beyond your ability to comprehend, beyond your ability to even dream that that might be possible. That's what happens. But we've got to be careful. Because I've got to believe that some of you sitting here, as we talked about this thing at the beginning, can remember a time when there were moments, seasons, when you were a little bit closer to God than you feel like you are right now. Somehow you have drifted away. Uh, we at the beach at Cape May a few weeks ago, um, this guy was not there. This, this alpaca dude is in California. And he's got a brother... That's just as good as he is. It, but, so, anyway, I thought this might be entertaining for you as I tell the story. It is, it is beach-related. Anyway, got the twins. Now they're eight, they're eight years old. They've had swimming lessons for two or three years. They're a little less afraid of the water now than they used to be. The waves don't care, scare them quite as much. They got their boogie boards, and they're, they're cool. They hit the beach. And they can go out there a little bit by themselves. We can keep an eye on them, but they, they don't go out too far. But they can get out there and, and smack themselves around on the waves. So they got their sunscreen on. They're in the water, having a blast. Next thing you know... They look up, and they got no idea where they are. <laughs> they got no idea what planet they're on. You know what happens, right? The waves catch them, and it just kind of causes them to drift up or down the beach, right? right? And all of a sudden, they look up, and there's nothing on the beach that looks familiar to them. Where's our beach? Where's our mom and dad? Where's our umbrellas? Where's our Gigi and Papa? <laughs> they have disappeared. They have run away and left us. No, they, have, they just forgot to keep their eye on the shore so they did not see that they were drifting with each wave and each little thing they rode in uh, further down the beach. Just enjoying the beach, enjoying the sun to beat all the band, enjoying the water. But you know, there's a lot of Christians that I don't, I don't think we mean to, but we have drifted away from the strength, the power, the presence the goodness of God, because our eyes, see, our, our attention, our focus has not been on the shore where God sits. And the life, the waves, the cares, the worries, the difficult things of life have just caused us to kind of drift down the beach. 
We don't even realize sometimes how far we've moved. And God knows this can happen. So he tells us this in Hebrews chapter 2. He says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift from it. So here's what I want to do today. I want to, I want to start this off with a little bit of goofy sarcasm. I was really sarcastic earlier in my life. It's kind of I have to work into it a little bit now, but I want to give you some, some, some really bad advice on how to drift. If you, if you think about, well, I don't think I've drifted far enough. I want to drift some more. You ever wake up, for example, and you're just sick and tired of God's presence? You know, can't take it anymore. It's just life's too good. You got joy that's abundant. And you go, man, that's a sickening. I've got to get rid of this. You, get, you sense that God's leading you. The Holy Spirit is kind of in charge. When you're praying, you're seeing results. When you're reading the word, it's just kind of speaking to you. It feels like it's filling you up. God's using you in other people's life. You're helping people along. Your spiritual gifts are being used or feel like you're alive. You go, man, I just, I'd, like to, I'd like to not be in the, I'd like to be not in this relationship right now with God. I'd like to do something else. I want to have more fun in the world. Here's, here's, you go. here's some ideas on how you can be sucked down the beach. Neglect your time with God. That's number one. You want to drift from God? Neglect your time. Psalm 63 has this. David is in the desert and he's in Judah and he's, uh, he's in desperate straits. He's in, he's in deep kimchi uh, because he's running from Saul who's out to kill him even after God has said you're going to be king. So it doesn't look like that's going to happen because Saul is after him. And so David says this. You, God, are my God. <clears throat> this sound like you, by the way? I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. You want to do that. You want to go there if you want to drift. You can't be doing that stuff. Right? Don't yearn for him. Don't, don't crave him because that's going to make you draw close. You can be scooting over in that front seat a little bit closer. You want to neglect your time with God. Don't enroll in a Bible reading plan for Pete's sakes. Don't hang out with Christians. Don't want to build your faith and give you strength. Don't ever worship, man. You can come in, of course. Listen, if you ever go to church, come in late, sit in the back, look up the lights, think about the music, think about how loud it is, how you could do it better if you was up there, right? Be like most Christians. Come once a month, maybe twice a month, if it's a really good month. That's really effective for really growing, right? Don't get involved. Stay on the sidelines, don't use your gifts. Don't pray. Don't see God. To the best of your ability, ignore that relationship. See, that's a great thing to do if you want to drift. Second thing you can do is hang around the wrong people. Hang around the wrong people. This is the good one because it's impossible to live the right life as a Christian if you're hanging around the wrong people all the time. So if you want to be outside the will of God, just make sure you're hanging around some really ungodly people. I mean, you're not doing it to share your faith with them. Heaven forbid, you don't want, I mean, you want to cross that line for Pete's sake, what my people say. You just like hanging around people the worse than you are because it makes you feel better because you're not quite that bad. But they, listen, they, they will drag you down for sure. And that, you want that, right? That's what you're going for. You want to drift. First Corinthians says this, do not be misled. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. Don't be a duber. <laughs> bad company corrupts good character. So you need to remember that. Don't hang around people who are faithful in their walk with Jesus. They're just going to encourage you. You don't want that, right? You want to drift. They might pray for you. You don't want that either. They might make you better. They might be more like Christ. Who wants that? Get around people who ignore Jesus, say a lot of bad stuff, do a lot of bad stuff. Get around them and let them drag you down. If you only want to, if you're not married, marry somebody who's not a Christian. 
because you'll find that their lack of interest in Christ will drag you down. You will, with certainty, drift. They don't have to be bad people. They're just going to make you drift because they're not interested in the same thing you're interested in in terms of spiritual stuff. Guess what? You'll become more interested in the stuff they are because you will drift. Give in to temptations, number three. Do this over and over and over and over again. Never resist it. Because sin, see, sin is really so much fun, isn't it? Have you found that to be true? <laughs> Haven't you? It is. It's fun. If you're not agreeing with me, you either haven't done it right or you're lying. Because it's so much fun. Well, until. <laughs> so much fun until it kicks you in the teeth. So much fun until the consequences come rolling in. But you want to give in. James, the brother of Jesus, said this. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away, drifted away, by their own desires and enticed. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. I mean, that's, that's okay, because that's what you're going for. Isn't it? You, I mean, you're purposing to drift because you've not paid careful attention, so you're happy to drift. That's what you want, right? Spiritual death, no joy, no passion, no life, no faith. So when you're, when you're tempted, just don't fight it. Don't resist it. Just give in to it. Tell yourself, well, this is the way I am. This is the way God made me. I can't overcome this. This is just my one or two or three, four, four, four five, six vices. I got six. That's all, just six. I'm doing that. I'm involved in those things because they'll help me cope with life. And if you've got to bring God into the thing, just keep asking him to forgive you and you can go back and do the same thing over again. Just, you know, as if it, as if it never meant anything to you. Just tell yourself, he gets it. He understands. He, he knows me. Right? Here's number four. Love this world more than you love God. This is a good one. Forget what God says. Here's what God says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. So you don't want to follow that. That's why you want to fall in love with this world. Believe that this world is your home. This is your, this is your final destination. Sell out to materialism. Just get more and more and more and more and more. You see, it never satisfies you. So you always need more and more and more. And, oh, if, and if you can, get really into debt. Because then you can add to the materialism the burden of being in debt up to your eyeballs. Financial bondage is really awesome. Obsess about stuff that doesn't really matter that much. <sighs> Sports are fun. But, you know what? Better if you obsess about them. Fitness is good, can we all agree? But, you know, let's obsess about that stuff. Pick your favorite hobby. I don't care what it is. Extreme ironing, competitive dog grooming, whatever you got to pick, whatever yours is. Go all in with everything, all your resources, all your time, so you can stop being connected to God. You want to have a minute to spare so you can do all this other stuff. Whatever it takes. Follow people on Instagram that you really hate because their life seems so much better than yours. And you go, man, I wish I had a life like them. I want to get sell out to the world a bit more, get more exciting. Mine seems horrible compared to theirs. They're so exciting. They're always all jumping off of mountains and bridges and stuff. It's just so cool. Airplanes. How do you differ from God? Love and pursue the things of this world more than you love and pursue God. And one final, this is the final one. If you're having trouble drifting, just fake it. Fake being a Christian, right? <laughs> fake it. You can fake that you're close to Christ. That's the guaranteed way to wake and work until you drift further away. The Lord says this in Isaiah. These people, don't you like it? Anytime Jesus starts with it, these people, you know you're in trouble. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's what you want to do. That's where you're going for. You don't want to be incredibly immoral. You just want to fake it. Come to church if you want. Put your hands in the air. Everybody around you is going to think, oh, that guy must be really holy, must be real spiritual. Look at his hands in the air. Look at that. Or learn some Christianese. You can say things like, 
Lord, sanctify me. And everybody's around going, oh, that's so awesome. He must be the most spiritual guy in the world. Fight with your wife all the way to church. When you come into the sanctuary, oh, how are you doing? Praise the Lord, brother. It's good to see you. Oh, yeah, I'm fine. You can, you can do it. You can fake it. You can do it. You can do it. You can fake it. Some of you are doing that. You know how to do that. I got to tell you, as much as sarcasm reigns in my being, it was hard to be that sarcastic for that long in <laughs> a message. For, so for you cat lovers, I got a sarcastic cat. Just, is it, it's, where is he? What? We already passed it? Oh, doggone it. Well, there you go. Oh, that was, anyway. Um, the reason I did this is because I just want to kind of help make the point that this is a thing I struggle with sometimes. <laughs> Maybe you do too. Now you're going to think, surely Dwayne, as a pastor, never has to wrestle with this at all. But this is a real, real thing. Maybe you think, all I got to do every day, I mean, that's all I'm being paid for, just to stay connected to God. I'm a pastor, right? Uh, my first four years uh, with our mother church um, in ministry, uh, you'd think I'd love coming to work for those guys. You expect spiritual stuff all the time. You're just going to be praying and Bible studying and everybody's going to be holy and everybody's going to get along. But look out. Here's what you discover. Every, everybody on staff at a church, you, you, you might be amazed at this, everybody on staff at a church is human. I haven't got into the robot yet, but they're all humans, as far as I can tell. And where there are humans, there are imperfections. And where there are imperfections, there are issues. <laughs> Seriously. It wasn't as bad as on this slide, but it was, it, you know, there were some great things, really. It was a not, but it was a job, I'm telling you, it was a job. And they had all the stuff and the problems and the issues and the conflicts and the goofiness you get in all your jobs in the real world. Maybe you think pastors are immune to spiritual drift. Got to tell you, easy to take your eyes off the shore. To let the goal be to get the next sermon done. To prepare that message more than letting God's word infect my life so that I'm changed by it. Easy to get ensnared by this world. With Jackie's illness, rising health insurance costs, out-of-pocket costs. Man, there have been days. I've been days. I felt like a full-time pastor, but a part-time follower of Christ. Full-time pastor, but part-time follower of Christ. Not me. Not you. Not anybody can avoid drifting away. Unless, as Hebrews tells us, we are paying the most careful attention to where we are, where God is, and are we moving down the beach. What would you describe your position today? Full-time parent? Part-time follower of Christ? Full-time student, but part-time follower of Christ? Full-time employee, but part-time follower of Christ? Have you drifted. Because if there was a time earlier in life when you felt more connected to Jesus Christ than you do today, what happened? Because he did not move. He did not move. We have drifted. Now, if right about now you're feeling what Bible scholars might call conviction, <laughs> can I just say it's a good thing? It's a good thing. It's a good thing that God is speaking to you and that you're recognizing that he is speaking to you. And if that's happening to you, let me just tell you, it's a good thing. Why? Because it means that there's a potential that you are good soil. That as the word is going out, the Holy Spirit is meandering around your heart, your head, 
your brain. Because the word is going out, he's speaking. He's encouraging you. If on the other hand, you know, you know, you know that you have drifted and you're hearing this and you're thinking, nah, nah, I didn't really like this message today. What's he talking about? I wish he was talking about something else. I, I wish he'd talk about money like he did last week. That'd be, that'd be so much better than this thing. Why am I even here today? See, if you know you've drifted and that's where your approach, that's when you really need to be cautious. You really need to pay careful attention because your, your heart your, might be not on good soil. soil. It might be rocky ground. It might be thorny ground. So we've got to go to God and say, God, I want my heart to be on better soil. Revelation, a couple of things. Jesus is talking to some churches, some really cool churches that Paul planted. He, Jesus actually writes some letters in the book of Revelation and he's kind of talking about what's happened since they got planted and kind of blew up, took over the Roman Empire. He's writing to a church in Sardis. Here's what he said. I know your deeds. You got a reputation of being alive. In other words, everybody out there knows you guys. And they think you're alive. You have a reputation that goes before you. That's the book on you. Yeah, they're Christians. Yeah, they're Christians. They're a member of this and that church. They were confirmed there. They were baptized here when they were kids. Yeah, they're church members. They've been going there. They're a member of this denomination or that denomination. You had a reputation for being alive. But then Jesus, doggone it, he finishes the sentence. But you are dead. Ouch. I mean, it's one thing if a mortician tells you you're dead, but it's another thing if Jesus does. You got a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. The scary thing is that some people have a reputation for being Jesus' followers, right? Because at one time, they were really, really serious and really, really earnest and really, really passionate about pursuing Christ. Maybe that's, maybe that's, maybe that's you. And if you're really, 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 really honest right now, you'd admit you're actually a little bit more spiritually dead than you are alive. Maybe not totally dead, just kind of not passionate. If you're really, really honest, you might say, yeah, there was a time in my life when I felt really much closer to knowing God intimately than I do right now. I, I, I reckon maybe I have drifted. You have a reputation for having been alive, but you're really not. So what do, what do we do? What do we do when we recognize this could be an issue for us? I love what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, writing into another church, the church at Ephesus. Oh, by the way, uh, for your homework, if you want homework, grab a Bible, uh, read Acts chapter 19 and 20, and you can read about the startup of this new church in Ephesus that really, if you look at it, they just basically took the whole region by storm and they changed the whole economy of Ephesus because they were Christians. But here's what he tells them as he's looking back up their stretch of time as Christians. He says this, you have forsaken the love you had at first. I mean, they were awesome. And he says this, consider how far you've fallen. Pay careful attention to how far you have drifted. Ponder what's gone on. Look at how you drift. Analyze that sucker. Take a look at what's happened. What did you do at the first? Get back to doing that again. Listen, there was a time when you were more passionate about the love God had for you. You've somehow forsaken that. Consider how far you have fallen. Maybe some of us need to ponder that. Consider where you were. Compare that to where you are right now. Consider how far you've drifted. 
And then Jesus says this, repent and do the things you did at first. Repent is not some magical word. Re means to to turn and pent means to go to the highest. Turn around and go in the direction that's highest. Return to God. Scoop back over in the seat, closer to him. Do what you did at first. Now look, I do not know what that looks like for you. I don't know what you did at first. You know what I did at first? I was incredibly passionate about knowing what God actually said in his word because I didn't know anything about it. And what I, when I learned something at all, I shared that with somebody. Most of the time, not very sensitively. I mean, you t- telling people they're going to hell all the time is a good thing. Uh, I was a dumb dummy. But I was passionate. I pray a lot every day. I remember driving down the road and I'd be talking to God as I was driving in my summer job, talking to God. Church was not an option. I absolutely loved it because I thought, I'm going to hear something of God's word. And God's going to say something that's somehow going to apply to me during the week. And I'm going to be amazed that somehow God tells this preacher to preach something and I'm sitting there listening. And then later in the week, I'm having an experience that like follows up that thing. I'm going, how did he know? God, it must be a something kind of amazing dude. And I loved it. I think I've shared this story before, but I'll share it again. I heard a sermon one time about um, how we're supposed to, as Christians, serve others and, and go out of our way to help others. So I'm living out in the country, five miles from the nearest little town of 7,500, a two-lane country road. Uh, I go down the gravel driveway to get the mail. Uh, and as I'm, driving, as I'm down there getting the mail, a car pulls off into the gravel next to the mailbox. And the guy says, do you happen to know where the McCoys live. Well, I did, because Tim McCoy is my friend of mine. He's about two and a half miles down the road. And I said, well, I, I can't really tell you how to get there, but I know where it is. So I'll tell you what, I'll take you. So if my mom and dad, looking out the big picture window overlooking the hills in southern Indiana, they see their only son get into a car of a stranger that they didn't know and drive off down the road. <laughs> um, I, we get two and a half miles down the road. I said, this is it, turn right, right here. He turns into the McCoy's house. He parks in the driveway. He thanks me profusely. By the way, I got to tell you, that was a, it was a more innocent time in America. It was still dumb, but more. <laughs> he parks in the driveway. I get out. He thanks me. I thank him. And I say, I'm glad you're here. I was, I was feeling so good. Sermon comes in. I hear the word I implemented. It's like an application. I'm just happy as a clam. And I'm about a half mile down the road. And all of a sudden, my mom and dad come tearing over the hill in a car looking for me, screeching tires, everything else. They're frantic. And as far as I can remember in my life, it was the only time I had the answer to the question I was asked the most by my parents, which was, what were you thinking? And so when I gave my answer, I'm sure they thought, this kid is, this kid is not going to make it. (laughs) But you know what? I did not get a whooping. (laughs) Because, you know, you can't be following Christ and get a whooping by your mom and dad. Anyway, dumb or not, Christ being real in your life will move you, will stir you, will change you, will motivate you. What did you do at the beginning of your Christian walk? Again, check out what happened in Acts 19 and 20. See what the new believers did there at the beginning, at the beginning that just changed everything, changed them, and they, was, they were alive and on fire. What do you do if you recognize you've drifted? Repent. Feel it. Feel the distance. You were here, now you're here. What happened? God did not move. God did not move. When you draw near to him, it says he will draw near to you. He will not say no to anyone. Now that's good advice that can transform a life. 
Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for reminding us sometimes, for getting in our faces sometimes, that we are not what we should be, that we are not where we should be, that we have drifted because we got sucked into stuff. We've been hurt and we've let that eat, us, eat at us. We've we, we gotten caught up in the season of life thing that's going to haunt us for the entirety of our existence until we break it free and say, you know what? There's always going to be a season, but there's always going to be a God and I'm going to live with him forever and I'm going to devote some time and attention to staying close. I'm going to snuggle up to him on that car. See, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to pull away. I'm going to intensify my effort. Maybe I've gotten hung up in getting the next promotion, taking care of this, taking care of that. Yeah, you know what? That marriage is going to be good, but you know what? It's going to be far better if you are following Christ. You'll be a far better husband. You'll be a far better wife. You'll be a far better parent. You'll be a far better friend. You'll be a far better everything. Employee, if you are snuggling close to God. Have you drifted? Have you woke up and seen that you are nowhere near the beach you were on when you started? Go back to doing the things you used to do. Lord, Make us good soil. Let us not be hearers of the word, but doers. As we approach communion this morning, there's a guy who loved us enough, even while we were crazy people, even though we were enemies, even though we were sinners beyond belief, even though we have failed, 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 and even after we accepted you, we still mess up all the time. You have continued to love us faithfully. We're going to take a piece of bread and we're going to take a sip of juice that represents your body, your blood. You want so much for us. You tell us we can grab hold of the life that is truly life. Not the pretend life, not the fake life. Real life. You want that for us. Make us want it this morning. In Christ's name.